If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. We are here. Not live, but we are alive. I'm barely alive. We're alive right now. For a completely unnecessary podcast for March 11th, a Wednesday as usual, 2015, alongside my, uh, what is in your t-shirt? A uh, uh, demon queen. Demon queen, Ian Ferguson, <laughs> in bad country. I'm okay with that name. We got a fun-filled, fun-filled podcast in store for you, ladies and gentlemen, this evening. That's yeah, gonna be, uh... Humdinger. It's gonna be a hoot and a holler. I'll do a quick Pax East update. I was just there uh, talking about the Nielsen survey came out about new game systems and, and w- w- why people are buying them. Uh, Maxis Emeryville office being closed by EA. Uh, e- eBay tweeting basically out amiibo trolling tweets. Really weird stuff. Uh, GameStop now accepting PS2 trade ins again. The Morpheus going on sale early 2016. Amiibo resupply in Japan, maybe coming to the U.S. Uh, DC movies are they edgier than Marvel's? One uh, Warner Brothers exec thinks so. Uh, we're talking about uh, YouTube uh, producers and their relationship with fans due to the completionist uh, Blake up, uh, Blake up breakup. Uh, Ghostbusters three uh, announced maybe with Chris Pratt and Tanny Chatham alongside the female ones. Tron three announced Twitch and your Q and A. Ian, how are you? Uh, I mean. I'm still, I'm still bullshit, but uh, you know I, I'm, I'm on the way to making that a little bit uh, uh, better. Um, so that's good. Um, I've been digging uh, deeper into you know music, um, enjoying my time off with uh, Vani more. Uh, just trying to let myself enjoy some hobbies on time off. I, I'm real weird when I get depressed or anxious. I can't settle into anything. But I've been trying to force myself to do that by, like, only allowing myself to do one thing a night. Like, if I go home and I decide I want to read comics, that's all that's I all do. You do. You know? So that's been cool. Um, as far as, like, some newer games I've been playing and messing around with, I've really been into... Um, there's a new game called Woe Dave out... And it's uh, it's on a bunch of consoles. It's by the people who did a Bit Trip, and um, it's a single screen platformer, heavily inspired by Mario Brothers, um, where eggs hatch into enemies, and when they fall off the screen, they turn into worse enemies. And uh, the things that you can pick up and throw at the enemies have kind of like a rock paper scissors thing. And uh, found myself playing it a lot. Apparently they programmed it in such a way that it is going to be possible for them to put it on an NES cartridge, too. Well, that's a good which idea. Which is pretty interesting. So it has the 8-bit sprite art. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, I've, I've, I mean, you know, that's all I've really been doing is just hanging out at home and doing music and playing games here and there. I've got an Indiegogo going. I, I'm doing uh, Pat the NES Punk Volume 4. So go to uh, Indiegogo, search for Pat the NES Punk. It should come up. And so I got some nice perk packages there, like a signed NES game if you want, or uh, a wristband, my handy dandy punk wristbands, or game systems, 
and fun stuff like that. So that was not good. I just pulled out the mic thing. Um, hopefully it's not going to be one of those type of shows. So, um, uh, yeah, other than that, I got a new Pat the NES Punk episode in the works, finally. Where the DVD takes my life and just squishes it into a ball and throws it. Um, so, yeah, uh, PAX East I just came back from in Boston. Thank you for putting it at the beginning of March, because holy shit was it cold, especially the first two days. My lips are still, like, barely still, like, uh, blistered from you, it. You poor baby. Uh, it was, it was, oh, was that your first uh, PAX? First PAX East. Um, and so, it was fun. Uh, I saw my uh, cousin. Um, I hung out at the booth. I was a part of a couple panels. The Chris Kohler, famous, real famous, now my fourth one. I'm like Saturday Night Live hosted, hosted four times. Uh, my fourth Retro Game Roadshow panel uh, with Chris Kohler. And that was fun. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to be online, but there was some good good stuff that came up during that, including the slabbed N64 like Costco pack that had like a controller built in the blister and the. And then the uh, there was a game, and then the the seller who was actually a vendor there revealed that it, he got it from a guy who bought like 85 of them from one location, and the audience could see my eyes roll like through the back of my head and out again. <laughs> As I like to say, you rolled your eyes so hard you snapped your optic nerves. Yeah, I, I had a couple. Yeah, he even said, oh, I've turned down, uh, I've turned down offers, or uh, I got over 5,000. I immediately said, does he know there's at least 85 of those out there? That's what I said. Right. You know, it's gonna, I mean, it's ridiculous. Anyway, and then I got uh, to be a part of the Cinemassacre uh, panel, which I'm, I, they'll cut that up at some point and put it online. And then, yeah, I got to be a part of the Cinemassacre uh, signing. I weaseled my way into that one somehow, and you know, most people know who I was and wanted an autograph, so that was fun. But, um, yeah, it's it was just very tiring. And uh, we'll see if I come back, you know, in the future. So, um, let's get video game stuff. Yeah, so last week, so, you know, PAX East just happened, and GDC happened earlier that week. And um, real shitty move on EA's part, a bunch of fuckwads. Uh, They announced that they were shuttering um, Maxis Emeryville, uh, which which was the lead Maxis studio. Uh, For those of you who don't know, and... um, I find that hard to believe at this point, but Maxis is responsible for uh, all of the Sim games. I mean, and, and a lot of those were very groundbreaking titles. Uh, you know, Sim City, Sim Earth, Sim Ant, uh, Sim Tower. The Sims was is probably um, the most influential one they released besides Sim City. And uh, you know, um, there's other studios, but they're merging them together. And basically, EA is taking over uh, the control of future Maxis-like products. Uh, I've had people actually, because I was pretty bummed about this on online, who were like, oh, you know, that's not the only, you know, there's other studios. Like I said, they're being combined, and really, Emeryville, I mean, that's symbolic. You cut off the head and the body dies. And uh, I think it's really, really gross that they did it during GDC to try to avoid um, press. Because that's exactly why they would have done it during GDC and PAX Week was to avoid any sort of press about this. What sucks is that so they want to shutter Emeryville. Um, who made the shitty decisions to make the last Sims game as much of a failure as it was with all the DRM and shit? Right, like that. you know, and I just feel Small bad. Maps and yeah, I feel bad that there's people who are out of job. There's an influential company that doesn't exist anymore. Because EA is so far up its own fucking ass. Well, I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, The Sims always makes a ton of money anyway, no matter what. So even if the last uh, SimCity game didn't sell that much, that's not worth closing a studio. It comes down to 
you know, looking on a sheet and saying, oh, we don't, we can afford to get rid of this office. I mean, that's what big corporations do. It's, it's really sad. That's but, true. Yeah, no, no one thinks about legacy. Like, when they close the, you know, we were really bummed when, you know, they finally closed the Sierra offices. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, what the like you can't keep that open just for companies don't think about things like that most some some do some think about okay even this isn't the smartest you know decision cost wise maybe it actually means something to just keep this keep this open or do this extra thing but most companies don't give a shit they don't have the heart you got to be you got to be a little cold hearted to be like a you know, to work your way up to the ranks and being like a CFO of a company or CEO. I mean, most people that get to that position or or position of powers in politics, you have to be either a narcissist or a little bit of a sociopath. That's what it comes down to, because so to easily axe jobs left and right, uh, when in this case it probably wasn't even... It's not like they were losing money on these franchises <laughs> to, to justify, you know? Right. The Sims games uh, print money. You but know what I mean? it's, you know, we're not talking about scrappy little publishers like atlas we're talking about ea which is just a cold business machine that's yeah. all it is at this point how many how many companies have they bought and sold and got rid of over the years right dozens you know it's like it's ridiculous so i mean they're still going to make obviously sim games it's just that ho- hopefully at this point though it's like a, a, you hate to say you don't even need the other people involved because the, the frameworks of all of, of the sims is there and sim city's there you know what a sim city game's going to look like i would say that's sadly true for the most part because they've done so many sim games you know the copy and paste idea is easy but once again the last sim city uh was miserable by most people's accounts so just because the framework of previous successes there doesn't mean that greed can't get in the way and ruin it so how about this nielsen survey about uh, new game systems, and, and, and I guess it kind of confirms what we thought about people's motivation yes. buying them. I enjoyed, I enjoyed looking at this because um, so Nielsen did a, a, uh, a survey of the three most uh, recent video game systems. The Xbox One, the PlayStation 4, and the uh, Wii U. And they basically asked people why, why they're buying it. And, uh, you know, some of the reasons they could answer with would be uh, innovative features, exclusive games, content, backwards compatibility, price value, etc. And what really happened was, is they saw that people bought, I think this is hilarious, people bought the Sony PlayStation 4 for better graphics. Fair, although we haven't really seen that yet. I mean, uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. I mean, sure. for as much as we got shit for the Order segment, um, the Order is supposed to be one of the games that really shows off next generation graphical technology. <laughs> Microsoft, on the other hand, was bought because of brand recognition. Um, I don't want to use That's the another word... another one reason. Yeah. I don't want to use a word that we've used before, but it's true. When I see people coming into the store who want to buy Xbox Ones, they are buying it for no other reason than because they had an Xbox and they had an Xbox 360. They're not they're not choosing it because they studied side-by-side comparison sheets and went, this is the better deal. Is Their answer the is always, I'm an Xbox guy. All right, let's, let's, let's run through the reasons for Sony PlayStation for the top five reasons that owners age 13 plus bought it. Number one, better resolution. Number two, Blu-ray player. Number three, the game library. Number four, four faster processing power. Number five, what, what family, family wants, wants, which is kind of strange to see there. But the, the big ones are going to be better resolution. And you know that in most comparisons, the, the PS4 edges out the Xbox One a teeny bit. It's, it's slightly more powerful. Right. And, and, but it's not enough to make a significant difference. And to now. explain what family wants, I think it's more like what your kids are asking for, is I think sure. what that means. So, so Microsoft, it's brand. It's innovative features, which I find... 
silly because there's not a whole lot of innovative features well, there. Well, use a connected power your TV. Right. Is anyone really using that? You think no, but that, that, that's why I'm saying it's not really innovative. I, I it was pitched as being innovative, but I don't think it actually is. Mm-hmm. I don't think people use it. I sell Xbox One sell very slowly at our store. The ones that are anchored down by a Connect sell even slower. Um, faster processing power, which is funny because it's above faster processing power on the PlayStation 4 when the general consensus is the PlayStation 4 is the uh, slightly more powerful machine. Well, that's just a preference of why you get an Xbox. Yeah, it's faster. sure. Um, exclusive games content and then fun factors last. Perfect. So, But here's the one that we left off, which is Nintendo Wii U, and this is what warms my heart. So if people bought the Sony PlayStation 4 for graphics and people bought the Microsoft for brand, uh, people are buying the Nintendo Wii because they're buying it for fun. And that's what games are supposed to be for. Fun factor, number one. Better for kids is number number two. two. Price and value is three. Four is backwards compatibility. The only system that could even tout that is an option. Which is sad. And exclusive games content, which Nintendo has always done bang up on. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I look at it, and I feel like... I feel like people aren't buying the Nintendo Wii U for the right reasons. It, I'm not look, look because people love to fucking hate on me and shit in my face. I'm not saying you're bad if you have a PS4 or a Microsoft One or a Microsoft Xbox One. I have a PS4, but if I'm just looking at the reasons people are buying these, these top five reasons, and I'm going to go out and buy a third system, if I'm going to go out and buy a new system, I'm picking the Wii U. I mean, it just sounds like a more attractive option. Uh, fun is number one. Price and value is number three, and we know they have great exclusive games. So I think it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting um, survey, simply because I think it confirms everything that you and I have been saying all along. Well, yeah, I, I mean, what's interesting is that uh, Sony PlayStation Four doesn't exclusive games slash content wasn't in their top five, but Blu-ray player was, which is sort of like almost like an extra that at this point who's using it, you know, it's like. Blu-rays are going the way of Laserdisc, where, yeah, it's like it's cool to have, but it's getting passed by a newer technology, and that's streaming. I buy animated movies on Blu-ray, and I buy kaiju movies on Blu-ray. I probably own, like, six (laughs) Blu-rays. Yeah. I don't own any. Yeah. I totally skipped that. You know, like, it's it's passed everyone by. Um, You can buy Blu-ray players for, like, 30 bucks in the store. It's like... It's like they can't give them away for the most yeah, part. Yeah, I don't think Blu-ray players... So there is some weird things with that, too, because I, I, I find it weird to believe that Blu-ray player is actually a selling point. No, it's not. Like It, it definitely was when the PS2 came out. PS3. PS2. Was DVD. Yeah, so, that's what I mean. When DVD came out with PS2, oh, that DVD, was a huge sure. selling point. Because at that point, DVD players were just about the same price as a PS2. Well, I feel like at the time, no one really knew. I mean, net, Netflix streaming wasn't necessarily uh, a huge thing yet. No one knew no, what was going to no, happen with Blu-ray. Talk, yeah, we're so, talking the year 2000. No, no, I'm also talking with the PS3. Blu-ray might have been a selling oh, point for then, that. Too. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's what you're talking about. But right but now, for, it's not. But I'm saying, the last time that was a must-have was the PS2 and DVD. That was a must-get. That was a no-brainer. I got it partially because of that. Because getting a DVD player at the time was like 200 or 250 so you might as well get the PS2. Sure. That, that was, again, that was a no-brainer. Um, so the other, other interesting thing about this is that the percentage... Another, they did a lifetime console ownership uh, section of the survey, too. And so... Um, for among Sony PlayStation 4 owners... 66% of them had a PS3. Hmm. Uh, among 
Microsoft Xbox One owners, 76 own a, uh, a 360. That can convert to three quarters. Among Nintendo Wii U owners, 86% had a Wii. So that's interesting that the Wii converted the most. So really the brand loyalty could be strongest, you can say, with Nintendo right. versus versus Microsoft. And I it's think, very interesting. I think the reason in, uh, Sony's is lower is because a lot of us, including myself, um, the Xbox 360 had a head start on the PS3. And, uh, you know, that's what our friends were playing online. So I got a 360, but I was kind of bummed with it in the end. And I got a PS3, liked the PS3 more. And that's when I bought a PS4. So I think that that 66% isn't so much people who aren't, who, who were unhappy with their PS3. I think it's because it's, it's people who are owning 360s buying PS4s. That is another thing I see in the store. Um, I don't want to be labeled a fanboy. I'm literally just going on what I see at both my stores in San Diego, a busy city. Uh, I know a lot of people who have switched to PS4 because they were disheartened with the 360, its failure rates, um, you know, the the fact that you needed gold for Netflix and things like that. So just to give you the quick methodology, it was about 4,000, 4,400 people, 2,000 teens, adults age 13 plus, 400 kids 6 to 12, of course, they're interviewed with a parent. You have to be. Um, and then in Wave 2, there was 2,000 more teens, adults, age 13+. plus. So there you go. It's just interesting and confirms sort of what we th- think about what this... Wait, yeah. Whatever this is, eighth generation of consoles is. Right. So this was this was really weird and strange, and I still can't believe that it came from the official uh, eBay Twitter account. So another podcast, another week of talking about Amiibo. I know... It's not. I'm fucking sick of it. <laughs> but this, Nintendo is putting out more and more of these select types, and you know now they're getting game specific ones coming out. But they're putting out a Walmart exclusive gold uh, Mario like with his hand up amiibo, and so they did a pre order on Walmart's site. Uh, I think Nintendo actually announced it before Walmart even put it up. Nintendo like tweeted the link, and it'll sell out like in 20 minutes. You know. Probably some asshole got like 400. Who knows? Anyway. um, But then eBay tweeted out like very quickly within like a day or two. It was was, was like the day after because I remember I was at work and I was scrolling through Twitter and I probably should have been doing accounting or whatever. And I saw it and it was like we've sold out. Walmart sold out. eBay tweets, this gold Mario Amiibo sold out in minutes but is available on eBay right now with the link. A link to all the fucking scalpers that are trying to sell their pre-orders. From what I heard, the one that they actually linked to was a $200 buy it now. So, I'm... Fuck eBay. I mean, that's awful. I mean, you're promoting the scalping of these Amiibo figures. And I realize it's bringing eBay a lot of traffic. I realize eBay is making large percentages of money off of this. But it's just a scumbag fucking move. But you're also... This is troublesome for not just people who agree, oh, everyone buys and resells. You're selling something that's... You're, or you're promoting something that's not even a guarantee. Right. You're promoting a, a, a scalping pre-order... That you don't know it might be canceled, canceled, and Walmart has come out and canceled some uh, recently. So this is just bad business all the way around. Besides pissing off your clientele, like like me, you, and other people, you know, this is just sense. I've, I I don't understand what they were thinking doing this. This isn't an item in hand. This is an item that you might get if you're tweeting this out on the first. 
and it's not going to be available to what, like the 18th or so? You're not going to be able to get this item until at least near the end of March. Right. So you're going to tweet something, oh, it's available now. No, asshole, uh, person who tweeted this. It's going to be available a no. month from now. The pre-order is available now, provided that this shit dick didn't order 100, raise a red flag, and get all of his pre-orders canceled. Or, or maybe it falls through, or something else happens. You know what I mean? Or people that try to sell pre-orders and then try to get them without even having the pre-order. So, just a really, really bizarre tweet and dumb, and I'm not sure what eBay was thinking with, about that. I'm not sure what else you could you could even say about that besides... It, it was it, gross? It was gross. It riles people people's feathers. You're going to have people arguing in the comments again, not understanding why scalping is different than buying and selling of aftermarket products, but... I'm not here to educate you. You being the commenters. Yeah. Figure yeah. it out for yourself. Eat me, point. commenters. At least the ones who automatically think I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, you fucking self-absorbed shits. Anyways. Um, Good segue, Ian. Thanks. Uh, so, um, speaking of bizarre things, uh, and I actually learned about this uh, a few weeks ago um, from my buddy behind enemy lines, who I mention sometimes. I'll never mention his name because I will never get him in trouble. I love him dearly. My buddy. Um, GameStop is accepting PS2 trade-ins on systems. Whoa. So, now, here's the deal. What? Being that it's game... Now, we still accept him, but that's because we... So, uh, yeah, we're, we're a used game store that goes all the way back. GameStop, now that's very weird. Um... Before I get into why it's weirder, we'll just go over the basics. So, if you have a uh, complete PS2 system that tests and works, uh, you will get $25 in store credit. They're not doing any cash. Uh, by the way, Luna Games gives you 30 um, <laughs> <laughs> And if you have a system that is missing the power cord, I believe it's just the cords, uh, or, or, no, I think it's any incomplete system, they will give you 20 in credit. Wow. Well, the cords will probably cost more than five, so that's actually a good deal. Just to... The cords are cheap because Sony has allowed the same basic AV cable to be used on uh, all three of their systems. Well, the first three of their systems. So they're swimming in those. The PSX, PS2, and PS3 cords, all the same AV. Oh, oh, but not, but not power, though. Power's, Power's different. different. Okay. Um, but usually by the time they get to remod, whatever. Anyways, so what's even weirder about this, and this is just... What I've heard from my sources, and I think we're going to see this actually be the case in the coming months, is uh, it's even mentioned in the articles because the GameStop has GameStop hasn't said what they're doing with them. Uh, game uh, from what I've heard, uh, GameStop has no intention of reselling PS2s, not in store. So do they have a deal with a third party to refer There is them? a third party. From what I heard, there is a third party that all traded in PS2s are going to. And my guess is they're going to be sold on eBay or sold in bulk to other places. Other countries, maybe? Maybe other countries. But, I mean, I can say this. There is a definite demand for PS2s. I have regularly started selling out of PS2s again. That's insane. I went a year and a half without selling out of PS2s. Available on my Indiegogo for Pat Dini's Pump Volume 4. Go on. So, I don't know what they're doing, but I, I can tell you right now. Is, is this like a almost looking ahead four years from now saying, well, you can't, most PS3s don't even play uh, PlayStation 2, so why not think about the future when these are going to be in high demand? It's kind of a weird gambit. I'd like but, to think that maybe they, I, I'd like to think that they're, they're think that they're that smart, but to me, it just seems like a quick money-making opportunity. They are needed somewhere. 
GameStop is nationwide. They can bring them in for this amount of credit and then sell them yeah. off for this much cash to another place. Sure, or even, hell, put them in a vault for five years. Because $25 in credit, think about how much cash that actually is at GameStop. It's like 10 bucks in cash or right. whatever. So it's like you're, not, you're basically giving these away to GameStop, and they can turn around and sell them for 70 bucks five years from now. But I have to go back to when you walk into a GameStop and you look around, where's the space? Why would they sell a well, system with no games? Yeah, they'd have to start accepting, obviously, trade-ins with the PS2 games. They're not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, they could, you know, under the the pretense of, well, you know, buy the system so you can play the old games that are sitting around. But I don't think that makes much business sense. I, I don't think... I really don't think we're ever going to see these in GameStop stores. Yeah, so if you really want to stick at the GameStop, yeah, if you, you get 20 bucks for it even without a controller, that's not bad without a controller. Uh, Luna Video Games says 25. <laughs> <laughs> Studio, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just kind of strange. And I don't know. Remember, they were they were still making these new until what, like three, four years ago? Was it like 2010 or 11? Did I, they stop? I, I actually wanted to guess something as recent as three. Yeah, the last game it said was 2013, so like a year and a half. Yeah, ago, the, the last ready, game which was is insane. 13 years. The last game was FIFA 14. It's that popular. That's, that's insane. Uh, yeah, biggest library of games right ever. Uh, yeah, too. I believe so. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, so if you want to get some quick credit, go to Luna Video Games, or or if you live in the other 99.8% of the U.S. that doesn't have a local, go to a GameStop, or put it on eBay and probably get, like, what, 35, 40 bucks for one. You'd be surprised. More. You can actually get, you can probably get 40, 45 for it on eBay. You still, you still see them at the swap meet, and people usually ask, like, 30 bucks for them. Before bucks. someone jumps down my throat, I willingly tell people that when they ask, so fuck off. Wow, you're ending all these uh, segments with a smile. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Sony. Um, speaking of Sony, um, the Valve uh, and the HTC virtual reality headset was announced to be coming out uh, this year, 2015. I believe that was announced at PAX. And Sony seems to be in a scramble to get their virtual reality headset out. Um, so they've said that it's going to be on sale Early 2016. Um, I don't know. When I look at this... Project Morpheus. <laughs> Do you take the red pill or the blue pill? Um, that didn't sound at all like... Well, that'd be, that'd be their Sony Move controllers with the big balls on them, red or blue, right? All right. Look like lollipops. Um, lollipops. Lollipop. Um, anyways, I don't like the idea of VR technology being rushed. That, to me, is just weird. Um, now, oh. I know that they said that the prototype they were showing off was much more advanced, but is here's the deal. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm curious about VR. I want to check it out. I do. I, I don't go to conventions enough to have ever actually put one of these headsets on. I know at conventions, big and small, someone usually has, like, an Oculus Rift VR set up, you know, and they're demoing something, you know, just so you can see it. I've never done it, so I'm curious about it, but I... I you know, I've read articles, and I feel like VR is actually a bit further away from practical use than well, people think. You have, what, like, you have the, um, what, does Valve have their own they're trying to get at? I believe the Valve and HTC one is the same. I, that, uh, that's but, the same one. This, okay, so you have three, basically, competing with their Oculus, Oculus HTC, and uh, Morpheus. Morpheus is PS4 only. I'm sure it can be cracked to be PC. Yeah, that's sort of strange that you're going to rush it to market 
against these other two that are going to compete for a wider <laughs> audience. I don't understand that sort of mentality. I mean, Sony, if you're going to compete head-on, you should have it available for any system. Hell, if it's USB on PS4, is it? Then just do that for the computer, too. Well, like know? I said, I mean, you know, the Kinect the was cracked in, in days to get weird stuff working on PC. That was only meant for 360, you know? So, I mean, they, they I, I, I'm sure it'll find life on computer. Um, but I do think it's weird that they are marketing a VR headset directly for a console where these other ones are for PC, which obviously has a much broader yep. range of uses and appeal. All right, so you're going to have yeah two then for general use, and you'll have one for a console. Who knows what Microsoft will do? Um, yeah, I'm still not sold on the technology. We we brought this up when this was first announced. It was like a year year and a half ago, whenever they did the Kickstarter stuff. Um, and I don't think that you're going to have people that never get used to it. Some people with motion sickness. Some people that might just be uncomfortable having that thing strapped to their head for. You know, I get uncomfortable with these ear things on for a couple hours. No, you me know? too. If I'm DJing or if I'm lost in my, my music for too long, like, eventually I go, shit, this is too much. I, I bet you if I put on the Oculus Rift or something similar, I could do it for 45 minutes. I bet you if I put it on Vani, she'd throw up. You know, I mean, I just, I don't, I just don't see it ready for market, but I, like I said, I fully admit that I've never put one on. You know what it would be cool for, even before games, if they if they did movies like that, like virtual movies where you can look around a scene. Like, that would be a cool idea. You know what I want? I want virtual tours of uh, museums and archaeological sites. There you that's, go. That's what I want. I want to visit the pyramids. I want to go to the Louvre without having to fucking travel. That's the shit that I want to do. I want to be able to put on a VR headset and have it take me to the middle of a fucking deciduous forest where I can calm the fuck down for 30 minutes. That's why I'm interested and in I, VR. And I think they've actually discussed maybe having uses like that. Okay, that's great, because well, that's what I'm most interested in. Because that could be, honestly, more interesting to me than, than doing a video game. Yeah. It's like, yeah, go on, you're going on vacation somewhere. Right. So I'm like, okay, why not? It's like, it's close as you get to a holodeck, but why not? Right. You know I'm I mean? sick. Let me lay down in bed and take me on a hike up Mount Marcy in the Adirondacks. Like, that would be fucking fantastic. Or if you can somehow can say, say, you know... You have a relative somewhere, and they put something in their house that you can sort of walk through the house, or you know something weird like that where yeah. that could work. Or you're like sitting at the dinner table with them and looking around. Right. I you guess know, that's when I really think about VR, and it sounds like when you do too. My interests in it it's are not games. Huh? Yeah, it's not games. It's not games. It's everything it's not else. Games. Yeah. For games, it sounds uncomfortable and unneeded, but for everything else, it's opening up new worlds. Right. You know, I'm not saying you can't enjoy a game with it, but for me, it's not going to be that. But we'll see what happens, and we'll see. Uh, you know, uh, Sony hasn't had actually. Well, even Connect, you can say, has been a failure. Sony Move was a failure. So any of these peripherals that have been from these consoles the past ten years haven't done that well. So we'll see how this. Even does. Wii's motion controls, you can say, were ultimately a failure because they. Well, no, they made them a lot of money, but they ditched them for the Wii U almost entirely. No, they're still motion controllers, though. Yes, but they're not using it for any games. What I'm saying is, is the fad has passed, and Nintendo has recognized that. But for Nintendo, it's what sold the system. Nintendo it, skated out of that with a lot of money. Yeah, so why Nintendo... Sony and Microsoft didn't, but I'm just yeah. saying all three companies have realized that this is not the future well, of gaming. Well, for, for Nintendo, it sort of gave them a jump-off mm. point for being innovative with the controller. Fair enough. So now you have a pad that you can still move and play Mario Kart with. It still moves, but it's not. you're not waggling you know, all around like a mad person sure. uh, with it. So, <laughs> we don't like talking about Amiibo too much, but this is going to be two topics in in one week. And this is something that I've brought up many a time of being smart, especially with uh, new, new products coming out, but I always surmise that if Nintendo was smart, they could always produce more Amiibo and come out with them. And it looks like there's reports that 
uh, at least in Japan, you are going to have some figures, uh, Amiibo, re-released. Uh, so that's great news for consumers uh, who don't want to spend 80 bucks for one. But the news it looks like so far looks like out of uh, it's Nintendo uh, Japan support, I guess, ticket uh, that announced that you're going to be released later this year, uh, re-releases of Little Mac, Captain Falcon, and the Villager. And so these are popular guys that yeah. you couldn't find. You know, especially Villager was one of the earliest ones where, like, went you know on eBay for like eighty bucks, a hundred bucks. You you probably wanted one at some point. What Villager? Yeah, I, I I did, but Vani wanted one more. And see, this is the great, this is the good thing. I mean, yeah, so, I want a little Mac. By the way, it's the only one I really want. Little Mac. That's the only other one that Vani wants to is Little Mac and Villager. So I'm gonna have to try and get these four. Hope you're not listening, because um, that would ruin the surprise. Uh, anyway, um, they're region. They're not region coded. Imagine that Nintendo did not region code something, so you can use these on U.S. systems. Um, my my concern is that and it's not really a concern. Nintendo is smart. Nintendo produces what they think they can sell. So I I do worry that this resupply of Villager Little Mac. And Captain Falcon is is going to meet the same fate that pretty much every other amiibo has met. Just because there's more on the market isn't going to stop shitheads from buying them all up. No, but at least it lets consumers know that there's a chance that these can still come out. So maybe they will stop trying to pay high prices for them now. Yes, because now they realize, okay, you're going to release these three, then you're going to release uh, Shulk or We Fit Trainer right. maybe down the line. And not just for this. If this is in Japan, and obviously they're going to be selling more in the U.S., much larger population... It'll probably open the door for more re-release in the U.S. And then I feel bad for the for the people that spent eighty bucks on one, but for the rest of us who don't want to go, you know, running into Walmart the first day, then if they're readily available, I might pick up a few if they're readily available. But I'm not going to go search high and wide for one and like kill myself to do it. That's, that's the difference. That's my thing. I was explaining to a friend earlier. Um, I can't remember what the topic was. I think it was records. Like, I'm a bad collector. Why? Because I don't feel like dealing with mobs. Lines, unruly, grabby people. Um, I will never own anything limited because I'm not going to put myself through it. I just don't care that much. Um, that said, if I could get, I mean, you know, for Vani it would be different. But you know, if if I could walk into a store and pick up a villager with no hassle, um, no shoving, that would be fantastic. Yeah, and then keep pumping them out. I mean, obviously they're they're going to be in the black on these. They, you know, so they can pump some out, and then, you know, you might have a eventually a wave of them that don't sell. But just these ones that are hard to find, I don't just put out a few every month. Just uh, you know, batches of a few a month, or for different waves of them, and then you're down the line and keep them the same packaging. So collectors can differentiate. Keep them the same exact packaging. Don't put like point one or point two. Yeah, I would really, I would prefer that as well. So that'd be cool. So yeah, so hopefully they come to the U.S. If not, you can always buy them other regions, like you said, and you actually use them or just display them. You know, but the little Mac one would be cool to get. So I'll, I'll look out for the, uh, picking one of those up eventually. Hey, do you remember that horrible Aerosmith song, "Living on the Edge"? You got, you got something? Maybe you could tie into that. Um. <laughs> No, I can't think of the, the the words to this song. We're living on the edge. Ah. Oh, that was bad. But yeah, Aerosmith was always to me just like a sort of like a crap, a, a Queen ripoff in, in a way. Uh, but or at least a, oh, it's not a ripoff. Aerosmith to me was always a uh, 
a cheaper version of Queen. But anyway, this was just strange and unnecessary and unneeded from Warner Brothers. Why would they bother to even stir the pot, especially when you have one company doing extremely well with their superhero movie franchise and yours just getting started? Because they have to because they have to appear like they have faith in their product. Okay. Uh, but but basically, Warner Brothers CEO Kevin Sujihara uh, said said this: uh, the worlds of DC are very different. They're steeped in realism, and nope. they're a little bit edgier nope. than Marvel's movies. So this set off, uh, you know, a fanboy just wave because you don't like to even try to compare DC versus Marvel in general. But now we're talking about the movie franchises. Now shit just got real because there's like a dozen Marvel Studios films out, and only, 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 only one in the new DC universe. Just, just, just the one, the Man of Steel. Um, well, so why, why, why would he say is this to pump up your product before they come out next year with Batman vs Superman, uh, Dawn of Justice? I, mean, I, I think, I think that Batman, Superman, Dawn of Justice. Um, now that I've gotten all my rage out about it. <laughs> is going to do fine. Sure. Um, doesn't mean I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to do fine. Aquaman and, and Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. But I think it's also going to give Warner Brothers a very um, strong dose of realism in terms of how their movies compare to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My other problem is, if he's talking about the movies, I don't even necessarily see it. If you're talking about the comics, it's straight up bullshit. Uh, DC is not more... And this is not a bad thing. But DC is not more steeped in realism than... than, than, than no. Dude, we're talking about fucking superheroes who fly around in goddamn the, capes and have the, special powers. There's no realism in either universe. If you look at, historically, uh, the origins of these heroes in the universe, DC is usually... Um, in general, more based on the magic side or mysticism versus, uh, especially when you got the 60s, on uh, Marvel heroes being based on science. Pseudoscience, yeah. yeah. Marvel heroes are based on some sort of pseudoscience. So to say there's any realistic difference is ridiculous to begin with. In fact, the only, quote-unquote, big, um, the only big superhero that DC has that's, quote-unquote, grounded at all is Batman. He's the only real one that you can say is He's grounded. The rest are all gods or aliens or... Which is why I've always liked Batman. He's just a dude with toys. Yeah. And I like the new Aquaman. Anyway. But you see, the rest are gods or mystical (laughs) characters. Yes. While in Marvel, they get bitten by radioactive spiders or a gamma bomb or they're in space. They were surgeons who made deals with the occult. They were regular people that had these powers thrust upon them, and that's why... At least me, I always identify with Marvel better. Because well, because there's always a moral conflict because with the, how they're they, created. They, they yeah. identify with their their original mortal side, and then they 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 have to come to grips with their 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 yes. super side. And that's always been kind of one of the more interesting things, like you said about Marvel comics. It's more identifiable to have a teenager with high school problems being given ridiculous superpowers and having to flesh that out with his life versus an alien who's just has these powers, right? He's had him since birth, or or uh, Aqua Aqua Man. He's just a fucking prince, yeah, and he's just powerful. And I love him. I love or, him. But or, or Wonder Woman. That oh great, you're just a, an Amazonian. It's like okay, you know what I mean? It's, it's it's a total different construct of what you want your superheroes to be. So to say it's edgier is absolute. Just to- well, 
and here's my last. I'm sorry. Here's my last point. This is the point that I really wanted to end my my tirade on. Uh, edgy hasn't been a fucking compliment since 1998. Who? I mean, when you look online and people are like, "Ooh, edgy," like that's an insult. You don't. You don't. You, why, why do you want to be edgy? When you when you say something is edgy, that means you are marketing it to people who listen to Limp Bizkit and eat Doritos with extra nacho cheese flavor <laughs> on top, with a do on the side. Yeah, that's uh, what you're doing. Do, do. I, I think it's interesting that people confuse edgy with dark or mature, uh, because movie like I go back to it since it's probably so far the best Marvel comics. Uh, you know, it's movie, uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier. Yeah, that movie's um, fucking great. Um, it's ma- very mature. But it's not edgy, but it's very mature, the themes that are involved. And you can say there's a lot of, I want to say it, it's dark overtones, but there's a lot of fucked up shit that happens in that movie. No, there's a lot of fucked up like, shit Nick that Fury happens in that movie. Nick Fury getting shot, and you're like, holy shit, Nick Fury's just got gunned down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Stuff like And then, stuff you like know, big, big Brother, you know, yeah, the, I whole, mean, the NS- whole Big Brother story. The whole NSA tie-ins and stuff that's going on, it's like, that's very mature. Um, that's why that movie it, it was so successful, which is why, again, this movie... Uh, no, it isn't mature. Magically making Superman broody, break people's necks, and destroy cities. I thought you were okay with, with Zack Snyder. Um, anyway, so this I'm, is... I, of, oh, I never said I was okay <laughs> with Zack Snyder. down, Ian. It's been a whole six months before you went on a Zack Snyder. I'm not going to uh, drink more beer. But what's interesting is that this is coming out on March 25th. They don't want any part of after that, because you know why? Because Captain America... Uh, Civil War is gonna fucking own uh, next year, having a huge story again. Maybe not edgy, but mature, and maybe a little bit of darkness. Having superheroes fight each other over ethics. And, and it's not gonna be edgy, but if they do it, any just hell, they could probably do it better than the comic, the, the comic book event. Oh, did. they will. Um, yeah. it, they will. Pro- it's probably one instance where they will. Um, you are going to see a comic book movie do things that you did not think a comic book movie would ever do. Yeah, and so you're going to have... should be quite you're, good. You're going to have Iron Man, who you can say is the flagship character of these Marvel movies so far, because of Robert Downey Jr. putting the whole fucking universe on his back. The most likable you know? guy is going to be the bad guy. Which is why it's going to be cool. Yep. And then Captain America, who I love, and then... Oh, oh by the way, we're going to throw Spider-Man in there. Right. And Marvel's... Uh, the Marvel film studio version of Spider-Man, which will probably be the best version, finally, that we're going to see. That I can finally say, finally, they got not half of it right, not two-thirds, all of it right. And so that movie will make more than a movie. A movie with the number three uh, superhero well-known will make more than the movie with the first and second most well-known superheroes. So yeah. let's think about that. Yep. You know, Or you put Spider-Man second, but usually it's like usually it's Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Anyways, let's pump the brakes on that when we're talking about Marvel movies now. <laughs> so, you've got a lot to speak on, and I, I only have minor opinions with this next topic, but it's coming up, so... Okay, so, this is something that happened literally, I guess, when the po- last podcast came out. And it's not something I would typically talk about, except that this is interesting. Um, but, uh, if you didn't know, and this isn't trying to be internet drama, but this is the facts, is that... Um, Gerard does a, Gerard Khalil does a show called Completionist. We've been doing it for four years with his partner Greg, um, and they put on a good show. And the other reason I'm talking about this is because I was in one of these episodes, so I know these people. I'm acquainted with these people. So they had a falling out a couple weeks ago. Uh, don't want to get into the specific reasons, but uh, it was public on Twitter, and it, it 
it seems like it was a business decision, but it was not a good breakup. It was not a good breakup, but again, I'm not going to pick sides. That's not why I'm discussing this. I, what I want to bring up is the fact that we are in a new media now where YouTube or content producers on YouTube have this um, such a more, I guess, intimate association with their fans that when stuff like this happens, when shows change, when, when business relationships change and and maybe uh, you won't see someone that you love for four years ever again on your show, fans react differently and because they have direct access to the content producers versus any other medium, versus music, versus movies or television. Is there a, sort of a expectation that is now there where fans either expect to be told the absolute truth or is there an expectation that that, that um, they are an enti- entitled to something that may be a fan of a movie franchise or TV franchise or a music group wouldn't necessarily get? That's what's the interesting uh, part is because you have, when the, when the Game Grumps broke up, um, there was conspiracies because they never said why John Tron uh, left Aaron, um, what, what went on. They never really said it. So... Are they are the fans entitled to that? I'm throwing that out there because I'm not even sure myself if they're entitled to an explanation. Here's my opinion: um, YouTubers rely entirely on their fans for their income. Um, I feel that anyone who is mature should be able to transparently explain what is going on. And move on. Mm-hmm. Um, you haven't covered this part yet, and I'll be, I'll be vague about it. But there was an explanation as to why these two people do not work anymore together. Sure. Mm-hmm. And in the video, it was stated that they were still friends. And it came out afterwards uh, from the other party that that was absolutely not the truth. And you have to realize whether you're the person putting out that video or, or, or whatever, that we if you're in YouTube, you're connected to social media. You just are. You, I mean, YouTube is, I guess, technically social media. Mm-hmm. The truth is going to come out about that. I think it takes a severe lack of guts to just be truthful about it. I think it's... It takes a lack of guts to be truthful? No, it takes... I'm sorry. It takes a lack of guts to not be truthful about the situation. Okay. I think it is very, very shallow and very, very much money-minded and business-minded to try to pretend that everything is hunky-dory when it's not because it's going to blow up in your face anyways. And I think that makes you a jerk. Okay, so it seems like you've taken some side there. I, I will I will respond with this, playing devil's uh, advocate. Um, these are huge... At this point, this is obviously... This isn't just a hobby for people that do this. Sure. Whether it's Game Grumps, whether it's completion. This is a business. This is a brand that you've built. So, is it to the point now where... I guess... I mean, here's the thing. This isn't like you're doing a product where it's like Daredevil on Netflix, where you're shooting with a bunch of people. It's a total fantasy world that you just... The, the viewer is on the outside looking in. They're not 
connected with it personally versus a YouTube series where hell the the person the the content creator is looking at the audience and is going like hey guys we're reviewing this this week so you feel this bond that you wouldn't with this other media so I'm I'm not sure if there's a right answer to this or not and I'm trying to ser- sort of search for the answer in my own head is that is is having that sort of brand then incongruous with, with being entirely truthful when something like this happens because you have to protect the brand at the end of the day I don't... Be- because because you know you have a fan base that is so used to being like feeling friends with you when in reality maybe the, at least you know maybe you know that it's not really friends friends you know they're not like oh we're gonna hang out but that's how you that's how your brand is built on that association of coming into your living room or bedroom facing you and saying this is who I am these are my it's a very messy thing it, no, it what's, is. what's interesting is because this is the new media that we're in this is a problem that only online media producers have you, movie stars don't give a shit about stuff like this or TV stars no they don't because it, 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 it's a larger audience and who the fuck cares what two people think in an audience of millions or billions mm-hmm. my problem with this is well no I have a lot of problems with it I'm not going to get into them but here's my here's my question then for you what is more hurtful than if we have to look at this in terms of fucking brands, which makes me sick, or or or, or but it know, is a brand though. What I like about I, it, I understand, but I don't like it. Is it more hurtful to lie and then be exposed, or to just be? We had a disagreement. We're parting ways. He will no longer be on my videos. How fucking hard is that? I mean, uh, really, dude. How how? I mean, that's not hard. I mean, you're going to have fans who are sad, but now you've got fans who are like, well, I'll still watch one, and I hope the other does well. Dude, I watch Twitter as this unfolds, and I've never watched an episode of this. And people are like, they don't know where the fucking go. They don't know where to fucking go. They don't know who's right. They don't know who's wrong, because Because no one can be fucking honest about it. Because the truth is not totally there. Well, this is is the other issue, is that (sighs) at the end of the day, then, I think when this happens... It's going to be hard. Uh, here's the thing. A lot of these YouTube guys are in their early 20s, mid-20s, or younger. And they may not be able yeah, to... they are. Uh, and there's something to said for experience of not just not just friendship. And that's a whole other issue about going into, going into uh, business or going into a partnership with someone you're friends with. Um, but there's, some, there's, there's something to be said for just, I guess, knowing how to balance or having the experience to know... It, it's this is tough to, to word. How do how do balance the friendship with, with a real, with a business relationship without having one swallow the other up? Especially having the business relationship swallowing up the friendship because now this is happening almost every year where a huge thing happens when uh, a show just oh, splits. Sure, it's difficult. I mean, um, you know, I mean, Treg and I, you know, at Luna Video Games, we're really good friends. Uh, I consider him one of my best my my best friends. Um, but you know, separating business from friendship sometimes is very hard. I guess my my, my whole stance on this is uh, there was no reason to lie in that video and say that everything was fine. No reason whatsoever. None. I, unfortunately, I think, unfortunately, though, I think it, that's my problem. But you're looking at it as it being being a lie because of what the other party said. 
So is the, so now so now you have to balance it out. Where okay, and this is my, this is this is my issue with this. Well, but no, that, no, 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 but the, the, the top. I, I, I'm not arguing you. What I'm saying is they said we are friends, and the other person said we are definitely not friends. If the other person is angry and saying we are definitely not friends, they're not saying that in response to a video that says we are friends. That happened before that video was sure. made. Uh, I think the problem though is that you know what messes this all up, and for better or for worse. You have NDAs involved. You have non-disclosure agreements involved with these. Sure. Um, that's why you never heard about what happened with the Gang Grumps breakup, because they signed these things saying, uh, we can't talk about it. And I'm sorry, if you want to... This is the only thing I'll say about this. If you want to pretend to have a brand or association with your fans, you can't hide behind NDAs. You have to be honest with them. If yes. we had a huge falling out, it would be the absolute worst thing uh, for our fans, especially because we are being real here. Yes. This isn't us putting on a fucking act... A Pat the Aeneas Punk or, or or whatever. Yeah, no, show. there's there's no NDAs you, you know, between us. If we had a falling out, you'd it hear would about come it out. For, for better or for worse. You'd hear about it. Yes, and then it'd be all the facts or our version of the facts laid on the table, and then you'd let the fans decide without wondering. Well, maybe this happened, or maybe this happened, yes. and then conjuring up conspiracies in your own head, and th- you know what I mean. And then having this sh- stuff happen where Ian's forced to tweet out stuff. Well, Pat did this to me. This isn't true. And then you have fans going, "Well, maybe Ian's just being bitter about it, or maybe he's you know what I mean." It's just fuck the NDAs is what I'm saying. Let's yeah. just put it all on the table, uh, and your brand may suffer a little bit, but in the end, I think the fans will will appreciate it more if you are totally honest and direct with them and treat them I, I need to. and treat them like they know uh like 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 they can like they're not children and they can accept the truth and i think ndas are a little fucking pretentious for youtubers too I I see why they exist because there's a lot of money at, at, at stake. But at the end of the day, though, I think you have to you have to look behind that, and, and then uh, plus it's and, and plus it's it's like a band aid. You know, like just say it all, rip the band aid off. Yeah, there no, might be exactly. drama. There might be drama for a few days or a week. But at least there's no, no hidden bullshit anymore. It's not going to come up again uh, when you're at a convention and someone asks you, or in the hallway somewhere. If all the facts are out there and everything knows what's there, then that's what that's what it is. If if a YouTube pair decides to part ways non amicably, you're looking at two to three days of potentially nasty tweets from fans, <laughs> and then things are going to go away because ooh shiny shiny. And that's it. I mean, it's not going to last. You're not doing yourself any favors with the NDAs. You're probably doing yourself more harm than good. So that's all I'm going to uh, say about it. It's it's very interesting. I, I don't have a, uh, a, a, a a horse in this race. I, I've worked with both these guys. Uh, I know what they contributed to the Castlevania episode we did. Um, so I'm trying. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be fair here. And I've literally never watched an episode. So I, if it sounds like I'm taking a side, it's only it's it, it, it's it, it's only based on what I've perceived from from to, what you've seen. To, to be to be what is the most sensible. What's the most sensible? And, and again, if there wasn't if there was an NDA and people were allowed to yeah. say it, then you want to do that. You haven't seen my episode still. Which one? The one I did with Gerard. No. I certainly don't watch your episodes with other people. Fuck me in the ear. We're going to split up. Okay. All right. Well, let's just finish this podcast so I can buy one more set of synthesizers and then uh, I'm out. <laughs> one more set of synthesizers? <laughs> yeah. How about you buy one more set of writing tools? Yeah. All right. So this was really out of left field. This is dumb. 
So I like Chris Pratt too. Everyone likes Chris Pratt. And you know what? Shane Tatum seems like a nice guy. He does. With chiseled abs. Um, and a good sense of humor. So they are apparently planning another Ghostbusters reboot, sequel, whatever you want to call it. So, what, what do you call it at this point? They're, they're going to do a... Um, it looks like... They, it's it's may- not a reboot. It, it, I, it's, it's part of the same... They're doing a Ghostbusters cinematic universe. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know if this is because a number of fucking dipshit fedora-wearing MRAs decided that they needed to bitch loud enough to get an all-male cast again, but what we're doing here is we are getting an all-male version of Ghostbusters uh, starring Chris Pratt and, and uh, Tanning Chatham. Uh, his name annoys me. I always I always mix it up. I always Channing say, Tatum. I always mix it up. So don't worry. It's Channing Tatum. I always say Tatum Channing or something. Is, is or it Tatum? It's Channing Tatum. It's Channing Tatum. I always say Tatum You have it Channing. written down wrong. Yes. <laughs> See, I always mess yes, it up. I know you do. So Channing Tatum. Everyone's <laughs> just going to be like, oh, Ian's an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> well, he is, but that's not why so I got it wrong. Channing Tatum. <laughs> Anyways. They're uh, going to do, do a version with... It may not be all males, but it, it'll be male-centric, it the, the, like. They say the leads will be males. And they say the real reason they want to do it is because Chris Pratt and Tran- Channing Tatum have this friendship in real life, and they think the chemistry is going to make a good movie. And it may. I just... I feel like this has to be some sort of response to Backlash. And if it's no, not... No, it's not. It's I, not... I, I well, no, no I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel it has to be. It's, it's going to make a number of people happy. Uh, but I also think it's fucking stupid. Well, here's the thing. I don't think it is because if Chris Pratt comes to you with uh, Tanning Chatham, did I say his name right? If they come to you... Tanning say, Tatum. If those two guys, two of the you're biggest right. stars, come to say, right. we want to make a Ghostbusters movie, you're not going to say no. No, I agree. Because that movie's going to make $500 million. I, I take back what I said. I agree. I don't... I don't necessarily agree that this is a response to an all-female I, Ghostbusters Now, I could say so. that there could be people upset saying that Sony's going to be hedging their bets against an all-female movie by doing this. I can see that side being pissed about this. I've seen that. You know and, what I mean? I, I, and I think Sony could, potentially. I mean, uh, why why do two Ghostbusters movies so close together? I'm a not year s- apart, they're going to be, yeah. I'm not saying that you can't do this. Do the finger cage. Tommy Tellerico finger cage. <laughs> Tommy Tellerico finger cage. One, two, three, you're gone. Um, that's my finisher. I just do it and you're down. Um... I just think it's interesting that they, I guess, uh, Ackroyd and Ivan Reitman, uh, the original director, are, are starting a whole company to a- explore this universe and doing animated series, maybe, or other projects. Yeah, but Ackroyd's a fucking weirdo, dude. Besides that, he, he owns the rights to this. <laughs> I know. Uh, so, I, I just think they want to build this sort of Marvel universe with Ghostbusters. I, don't, I just don't see a multiple movie Ghostbuster. Be, you know, it's not interesting, because it's not like... It's not like different it's, superheroes it's, it's, and powers. Right. It's like, okay, proton packs and shoot ghosts, and these guys have proton packs and shoot ghosts, and that's it. They're so, all the same. So we have women who fight ghosts, and we have men who fight ghosts, and then we have a movie where men and women who fight ghosts fight ghosts. Yeah. Boom! So, you didn't see that reversal. Finger cage. So, um, yeah, so, so we can yeah. have the, the, the female Ghostbusters team get but, all hot and bothered when Channing Tatum takes her shirt off. That's, that's going to be the big joke. Oh, God. You know what I mean? Christ. I feel like that's the end of it, though. I feel like that's the end. I mean... But what else can you do in a combined team-up movie? You can't. Over, over Ghostbusters. We've already talked about it. Ghostbusters 1 was good, and you it was great. And you and I both agreed that Ghostbusters 2 was not nearly as bad as everyone said it was. But you you can't run this... Con- no, I'm sorry. You can absolutely run this concept into the ground. And that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I think by the second movie, you'll be like, okay. 
And now we're going to do... Hey, the- didn't I just see this last summer yeah. with, with women as leads? And now we're going to do the Avengers version where they team up so you'll have eight Ghostbusters. Oh, now this is the male version. Okay. And now this is the male-female well, version. You know what the big problem with these Ghostbusters movies are? Are the, the, the villains at the end. There's only so much you can do with the fucking proton packs and shooting a ghost flying. Or, you know what I mean? It's like it's hard to like make something complex there in terms of a fight scene. Like the end of Ghostbusters Two is absolutely terrible, partially because of that. It's not. It's like oh, just, we'll just throw the slime on him and then <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. And then we'll shoot him and he's. You know what I mean? It's just it's there's it's not interesting. What's interesting is the concept, I guess, more than the execution of them fighting the ghost right. to me. People love the paranormal. I love the idea of the paranormal. I love the idea of movies that involve the paranormal. I'm a pretty big fucking skeptic. I don't really believe in the paranormal. But it's an amazingly interesting subject matter. But I just don't think you can draw this many comedy movies out of one franchise involving it. No, then they might do involving it. They'll probably try to do a kids' cartoon again or something, and it's, it's going to just be like uh, they'll probably do a mobile app, and then they pro- might do another game. By the way, Ghostbusters three is probably the closest thing that would be that. Uh, no, they the, said the Ghostbusters. They said Ghostbusters the game was supposed to be Ghostbusters three. I mean, hell, that's the one thing Bill Murray ever wanted to get involved in. So yep. that's that's what you have there. So I'm going to throw up my hands, and make twinkly fingers, real quick for a movie that I sh- probably shouldn't care about, but I do. Um... Tron 3 is coming out. We really Well, don't... they announced that. They it's announced coming out. Made. Um, I did not think Tron Legacy was bad. It had its problems. I'm not going to go over them now. We will, but a... remember, that was already, what, late 2010 Ten. that came out? So it's going to be six years between movies. It is. Um, Holy crap. The guy, what I see, the guy said, so the director says that this is going to be, he wants this to be the Empire Strikes Back of his, his Tron vision. Um, what I see in this movie is taking the actors and actresses who were younger in the earlier, uh, uh, in Legacy, and phasing them out for one final part three. I just don't know how much longer... Um, Bruce Boxleitner? What's-his-face Bruce Boxleitner and Olivia Wilde can continue to pull this off. By the way, Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde's not that old. She's probably, what, mid-30s? She's yeah, she's not that old. And, 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 so, and the star is not that old. I mean, six. I mean, they're still going to pull off the sequel, but, but I, I, this yeah. is this is a movie. I, I I know a lot of people will will make fun of me for this because I I shit all over things like TMNT and uh, and Transformers, but um, I just really like the Tron universe. I love the design of oh, it. Yeah. I love the look of it. I did not go into Tron Legacy expecting a good story. I went into Tron Legacy expecting a good soundtrack by Daft Punk and some very nice visuals. And that's what I got. All I want out of a Tron movie, whether it's yeah. Tron 1, 2, or the upcoming 3, is I want to live in that world for two hours. Tron 1 did not tell a fantastic story. Neither did Legacy. You know, the people who fucking shit all over Legacy because they were like, it's awful and it, it drags on. And it's like, have you seen Tron 1? It's not a great movie, but but they're interesting movies. Oh, oh, oh now you, you agree with me, but it's video game years. You yell and curse at me. I well, see. because I, I still love it. I still think you're not looking at it in the right way. The plots are not strong. The writing's not strong. The character arcs are almost not there with, with these films. We know that. Ram's uh, character arc was the strongest and he dies. I, I, I mean... Honestly, how many people just went to go see 
uh, Tron Legacy just to see Jeff Bridges in it. You know what I mean? It's just like we want to see, we want to see. Not the, me, but I will always go see Jeff. Bridges. But at that point, he was just playing himself, like he, you know, as the dude in Tron. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you realize I still come my jeans every time he hits the club and drops the hand down on the floor and everything goes black. I straight up burst all over everything. <laughs> over yeah. So you watch that on Blu-ray a lot, then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and, and so at the end of Tron Legacy, they they break free to the new world with, Ol- I with Olivia Wilde. What the hell is she in the movie? She's like a fucking neutrino or something. I don't even remember what the big deal is with her, that she's this like rare thing that the computer made or something. She's basically a creation of the computer yeah. that's gone sentient. And, and she breaks into the real world. So I guess the next one's going to be them coming out of the computer to try to hunt her down. Well, we better go world. back into the computer because that's, that's what I want. But I, if they're going to do that movie, don't wait six years to make a sequel. We thought it was nuts waiting four years for Back to the Future 2, let alone six years. Yeah, I mean, they were... Or four, they, or they four were, years for Matrix. They were originally planning on it being out by 2015, which would have made more sense. But now they're saying 2016, 2017 at the earliest. God. I'm... But, yeah, I mean... Honestly, I, I will do the same thing I did for Tron Legacy. I will get really high, and I will sit in the chair... And I will love every minute of the fucking ten dollars I spent on it. All right, Pat, take us take <laughs> us to Q and A. No, we got one more topic, real quick. Yeah, take us to Q and A. Yeah, with your one more topic. This isn't. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, I see. This, so this is something I'm going to bring up now. We'll probably bring it up more in the future. But as a YouTuber, and Ian, you're technically a YouTuber now since you're not. on YouTube. Uh, we are old hat in terms of the video game sort of a universe, or I guess a genre you want to call it, or vertical the video game vertical for the marketing talk I'm 3.2 decades old um because at PAX East and talking to a pretty big uh female uh like twitch what do they call them twitch streamers twitchers tweakers tw- so I think they're I think they're called streamers they're just called streamers I think they're called they now have careers I mean you talk about people get on me for looking down upon it in sometimes a humorous way about let's plays but People that are, are making livings on Twitch aren't even Let's Players because they're not making videos. They are just literally streaming themselves playing a game. Right. But this is now really big for like the either early 20s and before crowd. I mean, South Park did a whole... Well, South Park did an episode about PewDiePie and Let's Plays, but this is even more um, potent than that because this is streaming. This is totally disconnected from YouTube. So now uh, you have people on Twitch that have huge followings, uh, you know, 80,000, 100,000, 200,000 more that this isn't like having 200,000 YouTube subscribers where if I, if you have 200,000 YouTube subscribers, you put out a video, yeah, maybe you'll have 40,000, 50,000, 80,000. 200,000 people, when you go and say, I'm playing a game online, they'll get alerted that you're going to be on and you'll get a huge chunk of those 200,000 come on and watch you play. Right. I mean, that's I a see, lot. Of, I see it all the time on my Twitter feed. That's a lot of ad revenue through Twitch, mm-hmm. which, by the way, we should hopefully get partnered or I should look into that for the podcast. But uh, it's a lot of ad revenue. Um, but it's also sponsorships because now these companies realize that, hey, this is like having a billboard and you have 100,000 people looking at this billboard. You know, you, with Wirecast and, um, uh, what was it? Cam uh, Twist and, and XSplit. X-Split. There's free ones out there. These people use even without the expensive ones. You can put your own graphics and logos, put your sponsorship information. Um, and so you're getting paid for sponsorships. You're getting paid for, uh, excuse me, subscribers on Twitch are people that pay to be a subscriber. Followers are like subscribers on YouTube where it's free. There's a lot of money here. And it's interesting because this YouTuber, um, 
I, I asked her, you know... YouTuber or Twitch? Excuse me, this or, Twitch person, because they have a YouTube channel, too. Right. And I asked her, you know, you have this YouTube channel, why don't you upload videos? And they basically said, it's honestly not worth my time to edit videos and upload them because that's wasting the time I could be online uh, streaming, making money while I stream through ads, gaining more uh, uh, subscribers who are paying for that, and then and, and then all the attention from that, and then... Uh, attention from potential sponsors. It's just not worth it for YouTube. What the fuck is... like? What, what is YouTube going to do for me? It's a totally different world. I'm not going to say that YouTube's going to go the way the Dodo, because uh, there's other things that you it's, can do that do it. But for at least for gaming, it, it's, it's a danger that um, that could be sort of the... Why bother even editing a Let's Play when just have people watch me do it? And if they miss it today, hell, I'll be on later t- tonight or tomorrow. And they'll come back because it's not—it's—it's it's no time for me to click a button and start playing versus the hours and hours to edit and upload a Let's Play. To me, and I don't even mean this in in, in a bad way. I, I don't think YouTube is going to go the way of the Dodo I, for, it, for the gaming vertical. Be, because, I mean, for, for no, I, I don't think it will either because it's two separate things. Mm-hmm. You go to YouTube, and hopefully you're getting well-edited, prepackaged shows. Sure. Um, I feel like Twitter, or t- not Twitter, uh, Twitch preys on this voyeuristic tendency of people. Things are live. Mm-hmm. There are no retakes. And, you know, you're not just watching a person playing a game. You're watching the person get up and go get a snack. You learn what they eat. You learn their preferences. You see certain things in their living room. There's there's a connection because there is no editing, I think, on Twitch that leaves... That, that attracts a different type of person. Well, plus, that's the ultimate fan interaction. We talked about interaction yeah. before, but that's literally... You are talking back and forth with this person. That's a right. Huge, there's there's quote, absolutely quote. zero barrier and zero way. I mean, unless the person is, unless the person on Twitch is flat out ignoring you, there's no way for that person to even be like, "Hey, I didn't see your comment." There is there is no wall. Sure. So, I think it's only a danger to the let's play video in terms of the the video game genre, um, because there are people that stream live and then cut it up. But for people that want just to go at it alone with Twitch and say, screw YouTube, people are doing that. You now have these huge just Twitch people that have some... I think the biggest one has over a million um, on uh, on Twitch. And that's... Again, that's when you have a million people that say, I'm playing video games now. That's not just saying you're going to get 10,000. You might get 100 or 200,000. Right. At one time watching you play whenever you're there. That's insane to think about. Sure. Absolutely insane. The one thing I will say, though, is though if you're on Twitch and trying to make a career, a career out of it... Be careful just because um, when you're just playing video games and streaming it, that's a, a lot less transferable skills versus at least creating content on YouTube in terms of editing, writing, um, effects, things like that. On Twitch, you're really just, you know, you're a game player, and then you, I guess you're marketing yourself, and that's really it. You're marketing your personality, but you're not learning the skills that you could use elsewhere in video production. Sure. All right, so now it is time Q&A. for Q&A. On the CU podcast. I didn't know we were actually doing this one. Uh, Mario Le Heraldes. What would what would you consider a better deal for an NES or SNES lot? I, I'm guessing it means what's a good deal on a uh, NES or Super Nintendo lot? I don't know. It depends on what's in the lot. I, I don't. I, how am I supposed to answer that? Well, I, I put this down because, I guess back in the day, um, you used to... You know, count up the games and then have a sign a value for it. Right. So I guess in 2004, a good price on an NES game, NES game was like $2 each. And now at the flea market, you're lucky to get three or maybe four. Um, so that's you have to pick an average price. 
if we're talking flea market and say, okay, say there's 50 games in that box. Right. Uh, and then you're going to have some games worth more than your average price and some below. And so say there's 50 Nintendo games in the box, and then they're asking 150 bucks. That could be good or that could be bad, depending on what's in there, obviously. But you hope you're going hit to a, hit a score by doing that. You're hoping, you're hoping that $150 is worth at least 300 or What so. you want to do is look at, I mean, I guess I would say is if, if someone's still selling a lot out there, I mean, I don't even see those anymore. It happens on eBay. I know, but I'm just saying, if you see a game in there and that game is worth 50 bucks, and you really want it, then you take 50 and you look at everything else and you price it cheaply and you say you, you offer them 70 for it and you hope that you get the game that you want for 50 for 70 and then you use the rest as trade bait or you sell it off. You know, I mean, there is no universal good price for a, a game lot. It's all based on what's in there and how you can work it. But and really, what's your goals? Yeah, it, but, but really, you want to work it around. You look at the lot, you look at what you want, and then you think of the average price of those, and then you just kind of throw everything out there else that's in that lot as low-priced filler and hope that they bite. Uh, this is from at Potitude. In your opinion, is Little Samson really worth a massive price tag, or is it just an overpriced trophy piece? Um, Ian probably has a very strong opinion on that. I'm going to look up the average price right now on eBay. <laughs> um, I, I don't, actually. I mean, well, here's the thing. So I'd never pay more than $100 for a game, and I haven't. But I would buy a copy of Sapphire for the PC Engine for you know 400 if I could get it and feasibly make it happen. Because it's fun. Little Samson is likewise really, really fun. It's a really fun game. If platformers are your thing, as opposed to shooters like me, and you can get a copy for 350 400 and you want to, then you are getting a, f- a fun game, and you are getting an overpriced trophy piece. I mean, you're getting both. Yeah, it looks like the average price right now, uh, for the past at least, for March and February, there's about five sold. The average price looks to be about 900 plus for Little Sam. Okay, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. Um, it's a really good game, but ever drive it. Yeah. Um, the end. Uh, it's a trophy piece. You know why it's a trophy piece? Because whenever you see, a, a, at least the past th- three years, you see a new collector get into the scene, the Johnny Come Lately. It's not saying it's not saying you're bad just because you, you come to is the scene Is it one of the late, first games they get but for? It's the first thing they, they show up is, hey, I got a little Samson. And whenever they show me this, whether it was at Manifest of the Past or, what do you want me to say? Yeah, you spent a ton of money on eBay. Like, now, what it, do you, like, like, how do you want me to respond to like that? It's like when people tell me they have it at work. And the thing is, is I'm still going on the assumption it's like a four to $500 game. Um, like Sapphire is, and I think Little Samson is really, really goddamn good. Like, it's a good game. That's fun. Um, but it is by no means worth $900. At that, I, at that point, think, it's overpriced. Trophy. I think at this point, it, it's basically Little Samson is pyramid scheming, where people are buying it to yes. see who's the next sucker they can get for 100 or $200 more. Again, this is a game I bought for $90 like five years ago. Sure. Are you telling me a 10 times increase? Is there, you know what I mean? That I, I just I just don't get it. James Stundis at Chemical Who Boy from AVGN to Trolls. Why do you think the internet loves and attracts negativity? Here's my opinion. Um, people have a lot of pent up aggression. They don't know how to get it out. Um, they go someplace where they can be nameless and faceless and be as rude and as shitty as they want. At least when I'm rude and shitty, I do it and my fucking face is right here and you know where you can find me. Um... <laughs> But uh, I, I think it's just, it's a really, an, 
I'm not even. <sighs> I don't. I, I, don't, I don't even know that it's necessarily on. It's annoying. I don't even. It's annoying. <laughs> I don't even know if it's necessarily unhealthy. But these people just need something that they no, feel is. It's, it's not great, but it's, it's, it's unhealthy. Okay. If that becomes a, it becomes a hobby. If it becomes a hobby, yes, it's unhealthy. But I mean, if you find something that you really disagree with and you spout off, okay, great, you feel better about your shitty day at work. But if it becomes a hobby, you're just a piece of shit. But I think it attracts negativity well, simply because of the anonymous anonymity. Yeah, thank you. I think it's um. It's like anything else where you have that outlet where, I hate to say it, maybe you're bored, either you're bored or your regular life sucks. Yeah. One or the other, usually a well-adjusted person that's having fun and has real things to do, uh, will not just go online and spend hours. I've seen, you see these sometimes, these comment chains where it's like two people go back and forth for days with each other. And they just like, have nothing else going on. You have really nothing else. You really have nothing to do. Because when I, like, when I reply, reply to a comment... Um, it's usually once and then done, you yeah. know, it's usually once and then done. Um, and like I said, the person who just had a bad day and spouted off fine. I've had, I've even had fucking private message apologies over stuff like that. I've had people apologize after I, for some reason on the last podcast, people took one of the videos we did, like they totally misinterpreted what I was saying. And I responded to that and people said, oh, okay, I, I see your point or yeah. you know, I'm sorry. So I'm like, that's fine. That's not being a troll. Man, you got upset at me. But I'm talking to people that that's their mission in life. No, is just to do that. If, if it's their mission in life, it's because they have nothing else to do in life. That's what it comes down to. So I don't think the internet attracts it. Maybe it does attract it more, but again, it's like, it's like having that job. It's like when you go into a business or a job and you see someone that their position gives them a little bit of power in their life that they have no other power anywhere else, whether it's, um, whether it's a security guard or even someone like even even like a someone working at a McDonald's where sure a, ma- like, a manager they feel McDonald's. like oh I'm the shit so now I'm you know the rest of my life sucks but I have power over you right now and they and they and they get to you know swing their EP around you know yeah Travis Doting do you ever worry that Danny Sullivan's indie heat is too good. No, fuck off. Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat is just good enough. I never worry about how good Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat is. It's just right. Uh, speaking, of, uh, speaking of good old Danny, a happy 65th belated birthday to Danny uh, a couple days ago. He's still going strong. Uh, at at uh, Emperor Caesar 12, question for Ian. Ooh. What other synths do you own besides Aria series or plan to have in your future old slash new? So besides the Ira TR8 and the uh, fucking TB3, I own all three POs from Teenage Engineering. I own the Teenage Engineering OP1. Uh, Pat is pretending to be disinterested. Um, I also own the Microbrute, the Monotribe, the... Volca sample. I'm probably forgetting something. Uh, the main thing I wanted to say here is I, I've moved towards modular synthesis, which gives you a lot more freedom in the sounds that you create. Um, and I own a full 90 HP of Pittsburgh modular, and I'm about to get um, some IntelliGel and some snazzy effects stuff. Um, I think I'm going to find it hard to go back to um, hardwired synthesizers, at least for right now, simply because even though it's kind of pricey and it's all I really spend my spare money on now, modular synthesis keeps me occupied for hours and hours. Bryce Berglund. Giving a speech on the history of video games. What are some of the things that I can't leave out? Okay, so if you want to do a bullet point, I I mean, 
you, you go Ralph Bear Brown Box slash Odyssey and Pong. Yep. Uh, Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Uh, or VCS in, in, in 77, the rise of arcades, uh, the video game crash of 83, 84, the NES in 85, uh, the 16-bit console wars, uh, Sony in 95 getting into it, and then Microsoft getting into it in um, in two, was it 2000. Well, 15 years ago, Xbox came yeah. out. Holy shit. So I say those are your bullet point points, and then maybe the Wii in 2006. And, you know, I mean, so like every five years or something, you hit. And that's how you divide it up, right? You know, that that's probably the best way you can do it. Like, and jump ahead. Like, you know, that, why do you say like seven things? Yeah, every five years, talking like you know, forty years of game history, so like seven things, something like that, eight things. Did I miss anything? No, I hit a little. Let me hit it. That's why I'm good at video games. Skrillazilla, hey guys, what's your favorite way to play games that doesn't involve a standard controller? Uh, my personal favorite way is with an arcade stick because I play a lot of fighting games. I suck at them. Awful at them, but I love them. Um, so an arcade stick, I feel, is necessary. Um, it's funny that you mentioned light guns, though, because I do love light gun games. Who doesn't? Uh, my favorite being Point Blank series. I love the Point Blank series. We featured it on the podcast. We ones, did, uh, actually. The Japanese version, at least. I like uh, steering wheels and racing games. Ooh. Uh, in the arcade. I, for some reason, I never really liked them at home because I never really... I guess, well, I never had a PS2 you know, growing up, so I never had the force feedback wheel or anything, but um, you couldn't really do it in the 16-bit era well, or no. or the 8-bit era. Because really, you couldn't really do racing analog. games well, yeah. yeah. I don't understand why they, they ever figured that out, but I always liked the good racing game. Well, you know, Cruising USA I loved a lot. Even, you know, the Daytona series. You know, I tried to do the shifting when I could. Try, try that. Uh, light gun, though, you can't go wrong with light guns. What don't I like? I'll just say, I, I never got into... I tried it. I was decent at it. It never felt totally right. Remember the skateboarding game in the arcade where you had the big skateboard? Oh, I loved that. I got good at it. It always felt weird, and I, I felt bad because it seemed like there was only a couple. That was only around for a couple of years, and it sort of died out. They never did. Uh, Top Skater, and then they did a sequel. That was a half pipe sequel. Who made that those? Was, uh, Sega did. It was Sega. It was. They, Sega. Never had, they never had them on a system, though, did they? No, but Street Skater on the PlayStation is essentially a clone of Top Skater. They never tried to put on the Dreamcast, surprisingly. I guess no. It was too early. It was too early. Um. I got good at those, but really, that's just a matter of timing, and it's still just a matter of hitting a button, which is pushing forward yeah. or back. It just never felt right. Then again, I never knew how to skateboard growing up. so yeah. I pretended I did. Oh. Uh, hey, uh, no. Chemical James Hoo-boy. Stundis. Chemical Who Boy. Did really, did really Super Mario Brothers single-handedly save the video game market, or was there more something else? My thinking on this is that it you have to go back a little bit earlier. You have to realize that without... without Nintendo pulling the coup they did with Rob the Robot and getting the system in the stores, period, we never would have gotten Super Mario Brothers. I feel like Super Mario Brothers did definitely help push push it forward, mm -hmm. but like I said, we would not have gotten there if Nintendo wasn't a genius and packaged the Nintendo as a toy. Yeah, I I think you have to look at it as, okay, if they never got into the FEO Schwartz's in New York, New Jersey... You know, if they never got them into the toy stores and, and like, the uh, electronic stores, they weren't in Toys R Us's, remember? No. They weren't in the, the main chains. You have to get the product there first. Now that the product's in there and you have 16 games out in that first, first, uh, first six months, now how do you get a game that captures their imagination? And out of all those games, obviously, the big one was Super, Super Mario, Mario Brothers. But that had to be discovered. 
Right. Um, so without that chance to discover that system, uh, you would never had a chance for the, 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 the for everyone to see how awesome Super Mario Brothers was and how revolutionary it was, and to have the system then have a small spark from there just to get it get it survive those first two years. Yeah. It's the same same way the way you had to survive the first two years. Right. Uh, I, mean, I mean, SMB was the propellant, but, I mean, as silly as it fucking sounds, Rob the Robot was the spark. You know, I mean, yeah. packaging it the way they did was what was and, what got Nintendo and, and, where and, they are. And, of course, we're, we're talking about the home console market in North America when we say video game yeah. market. We, obviously, computers was its own thing, and in Europe and Japan, there, there was their own thing going on there. Fam- Famicom was still obviously going strong in the mid-'80s there, so that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in the U.S., um, so yeah, didn't single-handedly, but it was a chunk of it, uh, I would say, because Mario was your first main game franchise in, in like five years mm-hmm. to come around, where it was, this is the new, the new market for a new generation, Mario is something they can identify with, have a TV show, uh, toys, t-shirts, without Mario, what would you have had in, in the mid to late 80s? You, you, you can't really think of a secondary choice off the top of your head. It's not there. Right. It's, it's it's the Mario franchise first. Uh, Christian Lucier, hopefully that's right. Uh, would Atari have been in better shape if the seventy eight hundred was released in eighty four like it was supposed to? I always I, thought that was eighty three. Um, I have to say that Atari, possibly, but I here's the deal because we just answered this Nintendo question. The Atari seventy eight hundred is still a video game system. I think it would have been very, very hard for Atari to get this system on the shelves. I'm not sure that they would have been any better off. Um, I think the real real fault was not having the 5200 come out earlier. That was the big one. That was the big sort of chance that they had. Um, because By the time the 5200 came out in 82, it was already old technology. It was just the Atari computer. Right. Um, so why, you know, those extra two years could have helped. And then maybe, obviously, the controllers still were awful. But they could have maybe worked something out. Mm-hmm. And so that didn't do them any favors. Yeah, 5200 well, 5, would have been where they needed to start, not 7800. Yeah. So what... It would have been better because it would have gotten blown out of the water once the NES came out, obviously. Because then by the time the NES came out, the 7800 looks ancient. I, I, you know, but... I, 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 I like you said it was the the game crash. They were they weren't th- the retailers wouldn't want to stock them anyway. You I feel I mean? like it's either going to get overlooked entirely because of the game crash, yeah. or it's going to get blown out of the you, water by the NES. I don't feel like the seventy eight hundred had a chance. I think what I think it was more of a blessing because say the seventy eight hundred comes out in eighty four, no one buys it. It becomes like the Vectrex where you can't really find them and the games are. You know, scarce. Sure. You know, you'd rather have it come out later, at least because now you can find a 700 and it's not that expensive, and the games are out there too. And plus, it's backwards compatible, which was good for good for Atari for doing that. Blue Jester. If you could produce your own video game, what would it be? Shooter, platformer, RPG, etc. For hmm. me, it would easily be a shooter. Um, I've actually put thought into it. It would be like a transformable mech style like that would be the main character like you know humanoid mech that can transform into a ship um, like and I would probably want to mix I I have never decided on horizontal or vertical because some days I think I like one more than the other so I might try to mix uh, mix types it would not be bullet hell I like bullet hell shooters yeah. but they're overdone um, I would want it to be in the style of the Hudson shooters where shots are precise and fast 
and potentially a slightly bigger hitbox than we're used to. Um, I've thought about this a little bit. Not that I'm ever going to get around to doing it, but I would lo- love to write an RPG. Even though it's not my favorite genre, uh, being a writer, RPG has the most, usually the most story involved with it, dialogue. And so I, I think I could have a lot of fun with that genre, doing one, maybe not like an Earthbound type, but not doing the typical, you know, every RPG's got to be, you know, Final Fantasy with knights or something. And it's just like, or, or, or you know, futuristic stuff. And we have huge gun sores and bullshit. What if you did one RPG about, you know, what about a Flea Market Madness RPG? That could be funny as hell if you if you wrote it correctly and fighting the resellers and <laughs> Billy and Jay show up as side characters, you know. And Billy's- I made a demo of an RPG about a night in a fucking restaurant kitchen, and it was fun. I mean, you can make an RPG out of anything. Yeah, it's, it's it, hilarious. And, that, and that's and and plus it, and plus the structure is is like that. Um, I don't think you're bound to like you know what I mean. You can pretty much go in any direction you want. Yeah, you're with not side quests or missions or story. You're so. not bound to genre or convention. If you feel like your main story is getting too short or you want to wrap it up, you can expand yeah. it with side quests. You have your patent friend combo attack. You know that'd, yeah. that'd be cool, like Chrono Trigger. <laughs> Bit G host Travis McMillan. Hey Ian, could you talk on both the history and your thoughts on the legacy of sexy women in pinball art? Um. You know what, right now I'm probably not going to be able to pull a lot of artists by name, but I can talk on it a bit for sure. Uh, pinball was put in bars and smoky arcade halls where it was legal, at least. Most people don't even realize that pinball wasn't legal in most of the United States throughout the 70s. It was seen as, like, gambling. It so was, it was. It was. Really weird. Um, but it was meant to appeal to teenage boys. So there's, on, on a lot of early, like, 70s, 80s, and 80s machines... There's always ladies laying around in, in, you know, sexual poses or, you know, in skimpy outfits. I mean, fuck, my pinball machine, Paragon, has more nipples than the internet. And um, the th- as, as time went on and arcades became more of a family thing or more of a thing that kids' birthday parties would be had at, you do notice in the 90s a severe drop of scantily oh, yeah. clad women on, on pinball tables. You look at tables in the 80s. I mean, Xenon fucking moans when you put quarters into it. And this is a popular Bally pinball machine. Right. Yeah, I learned that from, I learned that from Ian's popular pinball. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, but by the time you get to the 90s, you know, it's all, it's all movie themes. And, mm-hmm. and, and the few uh, original themes, you know, don't, don't quite have this. Um, interesting side story on this, and I'll, I'll keep it quick, is when I bought my Paragon machine, bought it from a guy in L.A., and he rescued it and a, uh, a genie, another wide body, from uh, made by Gottlieb, from um, the basement of a church. And they had been kept in storage for a very long time, and they were in very nice condition. When he asked why they were just sitting in storage, the youth pastor said, well, we had these for youth group, in the 80s, you know, is something to attract kids and, you know, for, for kids to play, you know, when they were down here on youth group. But, you know, as time went on and we opened the youth group up to uh, younger members, uh, we just realized we couldn't have this much exposed skin and, you know, this sort of thing. So we put them in storage and now you're buying them. So, I mean, that, that's, that's really what it was. It was, it was to attract young men in the seventies. It was to keep those same young men playing in the eighties. And by the nineties, uh, the, the, the pinball industry realized that they couldn't sell machines with half naked girls on them anymore. Memories yeah. like the ones we used to. And the last, uh, there's two more questions. 
Um, this is from at ZachAttack84. Is it okay to make someone an offer on games they're about to take into a game store in the parking lot before they go in? Uh-oh, Ian. Oh, fuck no. Well, okay, so here's the deal. If I take the wording of your question, uh, literally, I think that's a scumbag move, but people are going to do it, and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, so- what I hate is when people make offers on games in store. When someone brings in a box of games in store, and before they can even get up to the counter, someone has got their grubby fingers in the box looking through it, or trying to look through it. And you have to understand the reason why. Now, I realize that you might pay the person more, okay? I realize this. Um, But they are entering the store under the assumption that I'm going to pay them less, unless they're stupid. And they also have a large amount of games. You know, you might buy one or two. We pay rent on that building and it does not give you the right to do business under my roof because that's what you're doing you're getting free rent to do business under my roof so eat shit I will throw you out of the store it's one of the few things that will get you instantly banned from Luna Video Games is sniping now if I turn something down at the counter and someone says hey I'll buy that I shut them up but I'm I, I'm I'm polite about it, and I say, you need to take that outside with them when I'm done. Um, and it's very simple. If you try to snipe, uh, I will throw you out. And if the person is trying to sell to you, I will tell them I will not buy any of their games. I don't care. This is not hurting my business any. Anyone who wants to say this, it's not. Um, it's called common decency. If you yeah. want to run a video game store run a video game store, but don't be a shithead and stand around in my store all day and try to get a fucking deal on shit uh, on my dime. And likewise, I've seen forum people go back and forth where, like, if, if people are hanging out in the parking lot of a game store and ask people, you, well, the only reason that you have the opportunity to be in that parking lot... is because I'm paying rent it, for your parking someone, lot. Because someone is putting in the time and money to open a business and take a risk and you are now taking advantage of that. Right. It's really fucking shitty to do that. Right. You can say, of course, that's illegal. You can do whatever you want, but you're a piece of fucking garbage if you do that. It's one of those things, and we get into this with people all the time. It's morality versus legality, and I don't give a fuck about your legality. I care about your morality. I care about whether or not you're a good person. Now, like I said, if I turn down something and you two want to go make a separate deal outside afterwards, that's cool. That's fine. Because I already turned that down, but do not do it before it's come to me. It would be like if there was like the big, uh, the big AMC theaters, and then so in the parking lot, I set up a little mini projection projection screen, charge people in the parking lot of of, of Lowe's, or or, or even or even better, um, you you set up a you set up a booth in an AMC theater, and I mean I realize the prices are insane, but you know you're selling your own popcorn and your own snacks and your own drinks. So you the only reason you so the bottom line is the only reason you have that opportunity at all in theory is because someone else put in the money and time for a brick and mortar. Right. That's why it's unethical, and that's why, like Ian says, get the fuck out of the store. Yeah. Or get or or do it. Out of my sight, and, I, and, I, and Ian, I'm sorry for doing that. No, <laughs> <laughs> you've never done that. No, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I it's, do you have, do you have to do that all, often? Oh uh, yeah, unfortunately, I do. Now, I, 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 well, most I, people, I, most I, people I, understand. Once some you people them. understand, and those people, I don't, I don't ban. But honestly, the few people that are actually banned from Luna, ninety percent of them are banned for trying to snipe. 
Are they? Are you think they're, they have their own like eBay stores or resellers? Or? I, I don't know, but they're just shitheads. And I mean, like I, like I said, I mean, I've looked at people and said, "Get the fuck out and don't come back." Especially because they like offer like it, it, it really bothers me when they offer like thirty five, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'd offer you forty. And just like, it, so it doesn't make any sense, anyway. right? And, and most of the time, the people who are coming up. Yeah, it, well, that's the other thing. The people who are usually trying to buy are usually shitheads who are trying to lowball who think I'm going to lowball worse, but I pay fair prices for my fucking games. Anyway, whatever. Okay. Robert Seidelman, uh, Game Show Garbage. Were there any games you thought about doing a pet... Uh, were there any games you thought about doing a punk episode on but decided to drop after some time? There was there was a couple. There was, there's been... Oh, I can't... I, I've done gameplay capture for a couple... But the one episode that I was dead set on doing, but then dropped, was I was going to do a Superman episode. That's right. Because I love that freaking game. I just love it. It's not there's, there's problems with it, but for what it's trying to do on the NES, it's cool. And then it was literally one of those things where I start to you know write up ideas and then start to start to play the game, and then you see oh, Angry Video Game Nerd Superman episode comes out, and you're like, oh. And usually I wouldn't care, but at that point in time, I was just like. Alright, because now it's going to be either a comparison either way, or you know what I mean? I just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I remember like, there have been some times where you've done reviews that have been close to other people doing the review, and you're like, whatever, I'm, I'm just going to do it anyways, mine's different, you know, etc. But, yeah, no, I remember you not doing that. I, I'm trying to think if there was another one I dropped. I think there was. That it, That's why I started talking. I was hoping it would jog my memory. I can't remember. I, I swear there was one you were going to do, though, about a year ago that you dropped because someone who wasn't James had like literally just done an episode on it. Oh, I don't remember. I mean, I always have multiple ideas in mind. Um, so, I don't know. At the end of the day, though, it's like, th- who cares? You're doing reviews of stuff that's so old, and if someone does the same thing, you shouldn't care what... For James, it was just sort of uh, a different at that point. Now, James has done... Uh, uh, he did Action 52 after I did Action 52. Then we did do Commando uh, uh, roughly around the same time, but he did it as a uh, part of another episode of the Arnold games he basically did, which, which actually was an idea I had at one point. That's what it really was. He, that was the other thing, mm-hmm. too, I think. He, the Arnold games, and he did that, and then I did, uh, I did Commando separately, which technically isn't an Arnold game, but... I worked it as an Arnold game because, you know, there was a command of movie with Arnold in it, but the game wasn't on movie license. Right. So that was it. So, whatever. Oh, and then um, the best part is, though, of course, when you happen to do a joke or a video at, like, say, an Action of the Two, and you still get to this day, people will say you're, you know, you're ripping off an AVGN joke when my video was, was out first, which I think is funny. There's something called, you know, parallel thought creation where two people can have the same idea for something. Well, there's also way. the fact that it's the NES... It has a finite number of games. Only a certain number of them are worth ever talking about or reviewing. And there is a billion and fucking one people on YouTube who want to talk about them. So, yeah, it's going to happen. So you're saying that there's not going to be 14 people? Or there will be doing Sesame Street Countdown review? So <laughs> No, that one will unfortunately <laughs> probably get like a ton of reviews. So, All right. So that does it for this release, I guess... Not strange to you, podcast, but I guess it's a little muted. Um, so we have a Patreon for the podcast. It's, uh, we do. Patreon.com slash Pixelsickle. Ian always writes for that. And then I have an Indiegogo DVD campaign going on right now. Um, so check that out for Volume 4, which will ship in April. 
And then, yeah, I have, a, I have to start writing my next NES Punk review. I'll just say it'll be a shooter. Ian likes shooters. Shooters are pretty easy to review. There's not a huge amount of variety in terms of, you know, what to explore. It's just you have levels you go through and you shoot stuff. You know what I mean? You have enemies and that's it. So we'll see how that goes. And then, you know, new ass Frank, it's been a while. I still have to put out the CU Podcast special interview with Brennan Floss. It's a pet-only interview. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in a month or so. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll, I'll start being a Twitch, a Twitcher, a, a streamer. <laughs> yeah, exciting things. So, uh, we have a Patreon. Yep. Uh, I think Pat said that. Yep. Uh, I have to pee. Okay, so the, the pee's not part of the Patreon. So for Ian Ferguson. It can be. It can be. For, it can be. That's 50, you just asked. That's $50 a month. He will bottle, <laughs> he will take that bottle right here and put his piss in it. <laughs> So for Ian Ferguson, I am Pat Contry. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Support us on iTunes, subscribe, and leave a comment because we are struggling because we were the only podcast that usually makes a top ten that isn't doing this at least once a week. So we appreciate your patronage. We love you. I, I, I mostly like you. Good night, everybody. Bye.